Hey, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to the podcast. This is Jim Martin with the Little Things First podcast. And this is Tracy Vandy Venture, and today we're going to be talking to Jim Sporletter. So, Mr. Martin, tell me, what do I need to know about Jim before we give him a call? Well, I am so excited about today's guest because um, Jim Sporletter goes all around the country talking about trauma-informed education. He is, I think, one of the forerunners of social-emotional learning in the country, which, you know, that is definitely something that has come to the attention of schools recently. And so um, he was the principal at Lincoln High School and uh, featured in the movie Paper Tigers. He's got a book out, and so I'm just excited to, to learn as much as we can about him. I know this is a topic that our listeners and teachers and educators are very concerned about. Very good. Let's give him a call. Great. Good morning. This is Jim. Hi, Jim. This is Jim Martin from Little Things First. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a, it's a privilege. I'm here with my colleague, Tracy Vandeventer. Hi, Jim. Hi. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for taking time on this uh, Saturday to visit with us. Oh, absolutely. We're both um, educators. We've been in the business for 20 plus years, and we've been um, principals, supervisors of principals, teachers, the gamut. And so uh, we just love to learn new things. And so that's why we created this podcast as an opportunity for selfishly us to learn new things. But we <laughs> like to share some of that learning with people who listen in. So thanks again for being part of that. Sure. So um, our first question, which um, uh I, I sent you the questions. I don't know if you received them, but just, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, I'm Jim Sporleder and uh, had a career in education. 33 years in education. Started out as a special ed uh, teacher. Did was in the classroom for 13 and uh, was able to uh, fortunately. Uh, move into administration. I, I was a middle school principal and at the same school for 22 years. And um, well, I, I, I guess about, I guess when I look at myself and I reflect back is, is that I, I, I was a very student focused teacher and a very student focused administrator, but I was very traditional in my discipline. Mm. And I believe that Every student could learn, and I also believed very strongly that behavior was a choice, and so that's how I approached it. And obviously, that it's not always a choice, and not every student can learn when they're in a fight, flight, freeze mode. So, so what you're saying is that for most of your career, you were focused on what you said was kind of traditional behavior or traditional discipline, but did that shift for you then? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I I would have told you that my discipline did not punish because punishment means hurt. Than that, my discipline that I taught kids, and so I always thought that when I was disciplining a student, I was holding accountability was a huge thing with me, and as you know, that's that's a huge thing with all most educators, and um, and I just felt that uh. 
that I, I needed to use those accountability measures to, to really get the message across and, and to try to impact the behavior. But those disciplinary consequences included our traditional, uh, you know, I, did, I used out of school suspension for major infractions and, and, um, And, and, and I mean, I didn't know it then, but I, I, I used fear to, to try to manipulate the response that I wanted to see in kids and to see the behavior to improve. So how did things start to change for you in terms of your outlook about behavior and discipline? Well, I... I, I had no intentions of leaving the middle school I was at. You know, when you're in a building for 22 years and you, and you understand that at that point in time in my career, uh, you know, I had hired most of the staff. It was, uh, felt like it was my family. And uh, I was just at the point where I was beginning to hire alumni students. And that was very exciting. And the school district had hired an outside consultant to do a, a evaluation on our alternative programs in the district, which I had no idea that they were doing that. But uh, the gentleman that did the evaluation and assessment, for some reason, decided that I needed to <laughs> hear about it. So he came by to meet with me and... Uh, shared his report with me actually you know he shared a little bit about the findings but uh left the report with me and and it was probably two or three weeks before i even read it after i read the report it was just uh very very painful you know the kids he entered he did such an amazing job of interviewing kids staff our community our community agencies law enforcement and what I read was just um, it was overwhelming. The kids were saying that you know we're we're labeled the bad kids. Where nobody cares about us. We don't feel safe at this school. Um, staff were in exact alignment with those comments that they did not feel safe. They did not feel cared about. Um, felt like they were the dumping school. And our community felt like the school was a waste of taxpayer dollars that should be shut down and and uh, it was just nothing but a bunch of druggies and gangbangers. Mm. And law enforcement, the interesting about law enforcement and the chief of police is very progressive and very uh, community oriented and very collaborative. And his comment was that, that the school was really an obstacle of him keeping the community safe because of the number of calls that were being uh, administered by the school. Wow. And, and Lincoln was called Payne Alternative Campus. So it had a 25-year history. And, and I, I knew the reputation, you know. But uh, after reading that, it just uh, gnawed at me that, kid you know not you know no kid should come to school in fear and and i I don't believe any staff member should come to school in fear or that any kid should feel that they're uh, they have no self-worth so what did you do what did what did you and your staff do then in response to that report 
Well, I was still at the middle school. Yeah, you said, okay, I'm done. I quit. I'm going over there. That sounds like so much fun. Uh, <laughs> I told my wife that somebody needed to go over there and take care of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and nobody uh, else stepped up. <laughs> nobody stepped up, but li literally uh, um, it gnawed at me. I, I, I really had impacted my sleep, and uh, I'm a person of faith, and finally I felt that I was being called to go. and So I went down and met with the superintendent and asked him to transfer me. Wow. And his comment to me was, why in the world would you want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him if he'd read the report. but uh, So I asked to be transferred to the school. I had no idea even of all the years I'd been in the community and, and, and knew, you know, I read, I read the newspaper reports about gang fights out in the middle of the street and all that. But, uh, until I actually went over for a visit, I, I had never seen a more out of control school environment. And, uh, it was very overwhelming to be honest with you. And discipline was my strength. And so, my goal was uh, when I first got there, and I had no no uh, no uh, background in trauma or even knew what trauma was. Uh, was to I knew I had to get control, and it, man, it took me. I'd say it took me almost a year to actually get to get control to where I could tell you that we had us the kids could come to school and feel safe even though we had tension in the building and we had several gangs represented and uh probably took another year to create that this is a learning environment and that we, we can our, our goal is to get you to graduation and so there were days i didn't think i was going to make it mm. um it was just so overwhelming, but uh, we slowly started making progress. And uh, in my third year, uh, our community champion, Walla Walla is actually recognized as the trauma-informed community on a national um, scale. So our, our, our champion, her name's Terry Barilla, she invited me to go to a conference, uh, Hope to Resilience. And the keynote there uh, was Dr. John Medina. And all I can tell you, I mean, I, I, I just told a group that I worked with in Wisconsin. To this day, I can't articulate exactly what happened to me during that 90-minute keynote. Uh, I say I was struck by lightning, but I've never been struck by lightning. I <laughs> say that my life was turned upside down, yeah. Um, but 90 minutes, it was the first time I'd ever heard about toxic stress. First time I ever heard about the brain being overwhelmed with cortisol. And then when it's in that position and kids are in a fight, flight, freeze mode, that it's physiologically impossible to learn or problem solve. That just absolutely blew my theory apart that all kids can learn. Well, they can't when they're in that state. And then he said it's out of their control. And I spent all those hours in my office letting kids know, no, you chose this. Now we need to learn responsibility and take care of it. And so 
before I hit the doors in 90 minutes, I was able to see that I was punishing kids and I wasn't disciplining, which means teaching. And I wasn't going to punish. So I went back to my staff, shared what I had heard, said I was going to get some more PD on it for them, and that discipline was going to look a whole lot different. When, when you think about the staff, you said you went back to your staff to help let them know this was a direction you were going to turn. Was the staff you were with at that point a few years into the game, was it the same staff that you had when you first arrived, or did you have a big uh, turnover? That's a, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, we had a huge turnover in our enrollment, and so our enrollment went from about – Oh, I think on the books when I first got there, we were 75, but we probably had a daily average of 50 kids. And that's when I didn't feel like I was going to make it was with 50 kids. <laughs> and uh, within just a very short time, we went to 175, and then we went to 220, 230. And so I was able to hire quite a few staff. And I think having – and I was – I always hired with – with, with, I wanted staff that could relate with kids. That, that was a high, that was my highest priority, to be honest with you. And uh, so when I came back, I had the majority of the staff's support. And when I said, you know, this is a direction that I believe we need to be going. And, and, but I said, this is a direction I am going in the office. Um, I had I, I I I had their support. So um, now I I had naysayers. I, I, it wasn't one hundred percent, but I had I had the majority. So Lincoln is uh, it, it's considered an alternative high school, right? So it, kids that weren't successful in another place would go to Lincoln as a way to recoup credits or kind of a new start. Is that right? Uh. It was a one-way ticket, and you weren't welcome back. Ah. So, so, so when you were sent there, it's your last hope. Well, yeah, I, I, I would say you were you were sent to may, maybe to a, a, a situation where it took sucked out your hope mm. because because the message was we don't want you. Mm -hmm. you. You know, you're going to this school, and uh, don't come back. Before you move on, if you don't mind, as an administrator, I think hiring is such a crucial piece to the work that we do. And always you are, you know, trying to cross check and double check and really know, right, are, am I getting the right person? And you talked about wanting to hire people who could relate to kids. How, how did you find out or how would you determine if someone could relate to kids? Did you have them work with kids and watch them? Did you ask them certain kind of questions? What was your... What was your go-to to kind of help wean, weed that information out? Well, I, I had started a practice, and I can't remember where I had learned this or had picked it up, but uh, I, I had learned it when I was at the middle school. But when I, when I started hiring staff and we were going through the, that procedure, rather than just calling their references, I, I would call, I would go beyond that. And I would do my reference calls prior to the interview versus after the interview. Uh -huh. And I feel like that gave me a really good insight. But once we became a trauma-informed school, 
we created our own um, interview process. We cr- it, it was uh, very very based on scenarios mm-hmm. and, and and problem solving, and to see how a how how did that candidate that came in wanting that position how you know it was nothing it was nothing like what they had ever experienced. And the scenarios that we gave them were true scenarios that they were going to have to deal with. And uh, I just believe that that changing to that model and then also hiring as a team, that uh, it was through our hiring that we just kept hitting grand slams. We just kept the, the, the right person would just, would just surface to the top in that, in that process. That's and we great. just got stronger and we just got stronger and stronger with, with the people that we hired. So, um, Jim, how, can you describe how an, a trauma-informed response might look compared to what you were talking about earlier, the traditional discipline um, that, as you mentioned, more equates to punishment? How, how do those two things look different? If you were describing just maybe a scenario... Um, how would they be different? Well, I'll just give you an example. When I, as I shared with you, it was the most out of control environment that I'd ever stepped into, and so the just just the the the, the daily response from to anybody to any authority that asked to do anything, the kid would just tell you to f off, and 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 that I mean that was just standard, and so. <laughs> So when I got over there, I I knew that was something I really had to get my hands wrapped around. And so I would bring kids in, and it was a three day suspension. If you and I would say to them, we're not going to tell anybody on this staff, any staff member, to f off, nor will we ever speak that way to you. We're going to speak to you with respect. We're going to we're we're, we're going to treat you. Uh, Respectfully, we're going to create a safe environment. We're going to, we're going to create self worth around you, but the f off uh, is just totally unacceptable. And I'd even say something stupid like, uh, at, at, "When you come back from your suspension, the slate's clean." You know, <laughs> still trying to bond in that situation, but so you you take you take that to once I became trauma informed when the kids came in. All of a sudden, I decided I'm not sending them out for this, and that was huge because I had been—I mean, I had three years of that. The kids knew before they hit the office what the consequence was, and so when the kids came in, I started asking them, "Wow!" First, I, I, I gave kids time to calm down, and in my traditional mode, I brought them in, took them on in the moment. And so I, I had learned that we have to let that brain settle down. And, and so I gave kids time to calm down before I brought them in to problem solve. And I started asking them what was going on versus telling them what wasn't expecting, you know, we're not, this isn't going to happen and all this and that. I just said, man, what, what I could tell when you came in the office, man, you were really, really upset. What, what what's going on? That's that's a, just those simple little prompts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids started telling me. 
they started they just opened up and uh from the very first kid that came in uh just told me a devastating story about how his dad had let him down all of his life and and uh he was a drunk and he couldn't depend upon him and told me of certain incidents in his life his dad had promised things and didn't come through and that particular day was his birthday and dad had promised him a car and when he got up that morning he was he said he was going to sneak it over to the his house in the middle of the night and he got up that morning and no car he just said i came to school pissed and yeah and uh but but the amazing thing is upset as he was when he came in is that as he i I just watched him and even though he kept telling saying how pissed he was and how angry he was and i was watching this kid just coming down mm-hmm. and when he it's the very first one and when he got down when he got calmed down he just says to me i gotta apologize to terry i i he didn't deserve that. It has nothing to do with him. Hmm. And 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 I and I'm actually devastated inside hearing about the pain this kid's yeah has gone through. And so from that very first kid, you know, people say, "Well, did it take one year, two years, three years before you guys?" No, it started with that very first kid. Yeah, because that because changing our approach now to a trauma approach, trying to see what's behind the behavior kids started talking to us and in the back of your head you're thinking how they even make it to school right. and when they were and when they were calm like the traditional mode i say puts me me against you versus a trauma approach puts me me, me with you mm-hmm. and so when i was in a me with you situation i was able to wrap support around them i was able to their voice was being heard. We, you know, we were validating, validating their voice, validating their feelings. And when they got calm, they expected a consequence. It was yeah. like a no, but that came at the end of the conversation where traditionally it was, it was right up front. And um, when it came at the end of the conversation, it was like a no, no brainer type thing. It was like, well, of course they wanted to make it right. Yeah. And, and, uh, so it, be honest with you, that, that was the fire that lit or the fuel that lit the fire. Mm -hmm. And, and, and with each situation with the kids, the fire just got hotter and hotter. And the truth is, I think I'm hearing you say that, uh, any one of us who would have been in that same situation very likely could have responded the same way that kid was responding. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I really like about what you're saying is one shift. I mean, besides having the kid calm down before you talk to him, right? So you're letting that brain cool off a little. Of course, that was one step. But really, the one question that you changed that started to really this this waterfall of information, what's going on? That is so powerful and I think important for all of us to listen to because we maybe don't do that enough with our kids, right? Yeah, it seems. It seems like that's too simple. Yeah, but it it was so powerful. Like you just said, it was so. It, it was such a powerful question, that, and and it brought it just brought that information on. I'll never forget when that before that kid left my office that day. I'll never forget before he opened up the door. He turned around to me and said, "Spoiler, 
thanks for talking with me. It really helped. And I realized in his mind, we had a conversation. All I did was validate how he was feeling in his voice. Mm-hmm. And listen. And, and, and listen. And, uh, and that, again, that became the norm of most of the kids that came in is that once we got to that point and their voice was being heard, they were wanting to make things right. They weren't, they weren't griping about the teachers or. Mm -hmm. Did, did the numbers you had increase? So you said you went from officially enrolled like 75 to like 175, then 220. Did those numbers increase because you started having success with these kids and having the different kinds of, of experiences like you just described, or was that increased due to something else? Uh, the, the, the numbers increased because I, I, I shut a, alternative uh one of the alternative programs down it mm -hmm. was off campus okay and i brought it on campus and i changed the format of it so that was that was about geez i brought about 90 kids over or 120 something like that mm -hmm. okay and, and i went through a summer literally of having parents call me and cussed me <laughs> cussing <laughs> me out saying that there is no way that I was going to bring their kids uh, at school. So that just shows you the, the reputations. I had all these parent conferences all summer long. And when I would tell the parents where their kids were ac academically, but, but, but more importantly, where they were with their credits, then they were angry that nobody had told them that their kids were that far behind. You talked so, about early on when you hired, you just kept hitting home runs and having some amazing people come on board. And then you talked about after meeting with or listening to John Medina in that keynote, and you came back and you said, hey, this is a direction I'm going to go. You're kind of giving them all heads up. And mostly people were with you, but a few naysayers. So how about those naysayers? How did you share the experience you had with those in your building? And how did the naysayers either choose to join you or maybe they went to greener pastures what happened there i would say there were there were some that needed some safety that were insecure around their teaching that this approach was scary mm -hmm. so i had to get behind them i always said if i saw baby steps that was that was moving forward so some some needed a lot of coaching and a lot of support but when I, when I saw that that's where their heart was trying to take them, I gave them a lot of support. Those who dug their heels in, um, I would handle differently today than I did then because uh, I didn't know as much then as I do now, mm -hmm. is that my, my attitude was you're, you don't have the right to hurt these kids and just weren't we're, we're, it's not going to be acceptable. So we had some pretty uh, intense one-on-one -on -one conversations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple moved on on their own. Mm -hmm. um, some were were dumped there by the district. So, you, you know, I wasn't going to try to move them on because I, I believe you take care of yeah. 
your own, your own issues. And so I, I started working. I, I, I was with the state. We were with the state union on one of them by the time I left. Hmm. But uh, it's hard work and it's not fun. But I just don't think when, 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 I, when you really reflect back to a true naysayer, it's all about them. Yeah. They never talk. It's not about the kids. So, I mean, when you have those tough conversations with them, it's about them. And, and, and the conversation doesn't go towards the kids. You have to gear it that way. So, Jim, you have a, a book called The Trauma-Informed School, a step-by-step implementation guide for administrators and school personnel, which I love. It's chock full of strategies and oh, thank ideas. You. Uh, what are um, some of the little things that leaders uh, or teachers or any educators can do right now to start building a more trauma-informed environment? You've talked about some of those things, but what are some things that you would recommend uh, that people start with? I, I, as, as I'm out there and, and I, you know, I, I'm one person of many. And so I don't consider myself, I don't consider myself an expert. I, I'm learning like everybody else. My learning curve is still just as high as it's been. In fact, I'm, I'm still learning a tremendous amount from, uh, from this journey. But, um, I, I think a focus that, that, that I have found myself in as, as I'm, whether I'm doing a conference or whether I'm training the staff is, is to really try to um, kind of com- compare and contrast what we're seeing in the, in, in this movement. You know, we've got this incredible national movement going and, you know, different States are at different spots in their journeys, but there's a lot of misconceptions as well. And so I try to address some of that. And I, and I think for me, one of the main things that I want to get across is that being a trauma-informed school or a trauma-informed teacher or administrator is not what you do. And because we have, we've built this journey that's been going on a while and we've got all these different programs and tools out there, valuable tools, but sometimes the conception is, is that, it's something that we do. It's a curriculum. It's a program. Mm. And I try to share that it's that if I'm truly going to become trauma-informed, it's a mind shift. And it becomes who I am versus what I do. And when it's who I am, then I truly understand what I call the power of one. I understand that as one person, I have the incredible opportunity to change a life path through a caring adult relationship. And if we can all come around that understanding, then it drives everything we do. And so then when we look at, at at these wonderful uh, uh, trauma informed, you know, restorative practices and mindfulness, all those come in and they align with who we are. And, and, and to me, we incorporate them in, in the manner in which they need to be incorporated. If it's a program, if it's looked at as a program, then I judge it whether I think it works or not. 
Right. So I say if it's who I am, it becomes who we are. And it, and that drives everything that we do. So when we would have what the student of concern meetings at Lincoln, our conversation was all around who's connected with, with the student who feels a special connection and who's willing to step out in their day and make sure that we start, we put plants in, in their day that, that we need to put more positive interactions in mm-hmm. the students day. And, and uh, th- that just created our culture and our identity. Yeah. Ended up affecting every decision you make because of where you're coming from. Everything was based on relationships. Yeah. One, one last question, Jim, if you were to be able to, you know, step into a time machine and go back to your younger self, what would you tell your younger self or what would you ask your younger self to do differently um, now that you have all this experience and information? Well, I, I cringe even today. I mean, I have alumni kids say, say that I helped change their life back when I was traditional, but once I became trauma-informed and I started to hear the stories within my office, the kind of the piece that, that can be haunting is when I look back and say, well, go back to my younger days. It always hits me. How many stories did I miss because I disciplined, gave the consequence, and uh, you know the, the the kid was on his way, and it, I just cringe because because um, I I just had a kid on Facebook, but I, I had him in middle school, and, and oh shoot, nine months or so ago, he he friended me on textbook, and he sh- he shared with me. He says, "I don't know if you re- remember me." And uh, absolutely, of course, I remembered him. <laughs> but uh, he shared, I was in your office a lot, and I was, going, I, I had a, I was just going through so much. There's so much going in, in my home. And he goes, I just want you to know that that I have my life together. I have a family. I have a good job, and I'm being the father to my kids that I never had. Hmm. And the other day, I, I just posted a, uh, the power of hugs. Yeah. What, what a hug can do for a kid. And he responded to that. And, and he mentioned, <clears throat> he just responded with a comment and said that back when I was in middle school, before going to school, my mom told me that my natural dad had died. And I didn't even know my natural dad. I never had a chance to have a relationship with him this conflict with my stepdad i went to school i did i didn't know what to think i and, and he goes i was i was i was just in tears most of the day and i went to choir and my choir teacher took me outside in the hallway and just said i can tell you're having a really rough day can i hug you and he says i can't tell you how much that hug meant to me mm. wow so yeah. Those you hear those powerful stories and just those simple gestures of kindness, the power that they can have. So, 
you know, I could beat up myself all day on missing those opportunities. I try to take, I try to take those stories and um, use them to drive me forward and to share that out with teachers so that teachers understand just the powerful, not teachers, but all of us right. in the education that we have such an incredible opportunity to impact a student's life. And it's not complicated. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. Such good messages, Jim. And um, I would encourage everybody to read your book and to also um, watch the movie Paper Tigers. We're going to be having a showing here in Salt Lake um, upcoming. Uh, you're featured in that film, and um, it's it's very inspiring as well. Um, but uh, thank you so much for your time today. What are your next steps? What are you going to be doing now that now that we're in 2020? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> well, I just finished my last trip. Just got home from uh, Dells, Wisconsin, and uh, been on the road for about a hundred, little over 150 days this year. I'm gonna, mm. I'm gonna slow it down a little bit. That's, that was that's a little bit too much, but uh, my heart is with the movement and supporting educators. And as you know. If you come from an educational environment, you're talking about the cooks, the custodians, and everybody. Yeah. That uh, uh, there's Lincoln, there's Lincoln kids everywhere, right? And so if I if I can um, touch some hearts to get to their heads and, and cause some change, that 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 would be my highest uh, desire. That's yeah. true. And so 2020 will is. We've got quite a quite a few things scheduled already, and, and I'm just very grateful to be on this, very humbled and grateful to be on this journey and and being able to support this movement. Thank you for that. Thank you for your leadership. Yeah, and Jim, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. We have so enjoyed this conversation, and you have given us so much hope about the work that we're doing in education and given us so many ideas about the little things that we can do that really make a difference for not only the kids in our classrooms, but even our staff too, creating that safe, supportive um, environment for everyone to grow and get better. So thank you again. And I... Thank you for the work that you're doing and getting the word out there because we're we're all on the same team and I think we all we all kind of have a role of supporting one another throughout this journey. That's what I love about the about it. It's very collaborative. Yeah, very good. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and thank okay, you so much. Okay, you too. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. You bet. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.